you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mike Hertzberg. Welcome, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. And Mark, we are going to talk about some exciting topics around networking, negotiation, and so on. But before we get started and jump into it, there's a few people around the world who still don't know who you are. Would you mind doing a quick introduction? It's my pleasure. I have two parallel careers in life. My primary career was starting as a dot-com software developer after I left MIT with a couple of degrees. And I moved up the world of internet startups. I helped traditional garage startups. I helped a couple Fortune 500 companies play startup. And I've moved along. I've become a CTO, and I've been through every stage of the company. That part of my career looks pretty standard. But in parallel, something happened along the way. When I began interviewing people, and I would ask them technical questions, not just software. It could be an accounting question, a marketing question. I would get technical answers. Okay, they knew what they were doing. But then I would ask questions like, what makes someone a good leader? What do you look for in a teammate? How do you communicate effectively? And I would get blank stares. And I realized that these are not questions that we teach people about in our university studies. These are things they expect us all to learn the hard way. And unfortunately, not everyone does. So as I was exploring these questions and trying to figure out how to train up my team, I discovered MIT was putting together a class on this. And I wound up reaching out to MIT and saying, I've been working on this, how can I help? They asked me to come in, help design the class. I've been teaching there for the last 20 years. And so in addition to my primary job, having a career as a CTO doing tech startups, I've had this parallel path in academia, teaching for 20 years at MIT, working with nonprofits, helping running online communities, helping people with their career. And I've been really passionate about how I can help people with their professional efficacy. And it's ultimately led to the book that just came out a couple of weeks ago, The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Awesome. I love that. One of my biggest things and one of the reasons why I do a lot of what I do is exactly because very, very few people have ever been taught management in a sensible manner. And in most businesses, even, I mean, I've worked at IBM and Xerox and very large companies and you know, so frequently you have people being promoted from individual contributor roles into various management roles and the actual training and support when that happens is, at least in my experience, often close to non-existent. So yeah, one, one of the big things with what I do and what I actually tell people is, you know, when you promote people into a, a role of management, you need to support them. Uh, they need training, they need coaching, they need guidance. And the, the problem is when someone gets promoted to a sales manager, the company buys some sales courses, not management courses. And the whole point is they probably knew sales else they wouldn't have been promoted to the sales manager. So that's not what they need to learn, right? Um, and it actually goes back to one of my favorite pet peeves when people say, oh, you know, the best sales manager doesn't necessarily make the best, uh, sorry, the best salesperson doesn't necessarily make the best sales manager. And my whole look at management is that people can learn anything and if someone has the skill and the drive to learn to become the best sales guy they can also learn 
at least how to be an extremely good sales manager. However, with no training and just expecting them to be so from day one, that is a very, very different thing. You're absolutely right. And around the world, people go into management with no training. We also see with interviewing, how many people are told, okay, interview this candidate, but they were given no training how to interview. You're hiring someone for your team. If you're suboptimal in picking a teammate, you're suboptimal in the function of your team. Think about networking. We've all heard networking is so important. Oh, you have to have a good network. Well, if this is such an important skill, how come no one has ever taken the time to teach us how to do this? And all these important skills, unfortunately, are never taught to us. And I think, I think fundamentally that's, yeah, I mean, to- totally agree. And, and I think fundamentally that's, that's the big development areas, right? And that's both with this podcast, but also my trainings and so on. That's really what I've been trying to cover, right? Because fundamentally, like, like with most things, if, if you know nothing, it's also very daunting. But most business owners I talk with, they come to me and they're like, I don't like managing people. I'm like, mm, I, I don't necessarily think that's the, the case. What is the case is you've never been taught how to manage people and therefore you don't like it. But reality is like 90% of my clients, when they actually start understanding how to manage people, they start loving it, right? I, I say 90% because there's definitely, there is definitely one person here there that, that end up maybe not enjoying it like crazy, but most people actually really like it. And I, I work in some niches, uh, particularly in SEO a lot, which is very technical, nerdy, a lot of sort of developer type, very introverted, shy people. And they always come to me and they're like, can I just hire someone to manage people for me so I don't have to? Like, yeah, you can, but you should learn how to do it first, right? And so many of them actually end up in situations where they love managing, right? But it's, it's about the knowledge, right? Because like anything, if I want to go learn how to play a guitar and I've never touched a guitar, if I just sit down with a guitar and trying to figure it out by myself, like it's not going to be fun, right? Absolutely. And for a lot of these things, it is about having a mental shift. It's about recognizing the opportunities. So for example, leadership, that's something that people see, well, that's when you're at this high level. That's when you have this title. But once we recognize leadership, it's influential leadership. It doesn't come from your position you see opportunities to lead and develop your leadership all around or networking. So many people who are introverted and I myself an introvert, they think, oh, I don't wanna have to go to this room and schmooze and meet all these people. That's one way to do it. But once you realize networking is about relationships, it's just meeting people, have coffee with someone, that is networking, that's building it. And here's the secret. You don't have to be the world's greatest for any of these. So I'm going to share one of my favorite business parables. It's a story of two campers. These two men go off into the woods and they're asleep one night when a bear comes in and one of the campers wakes up. So there's, there's a bear. So he wakes up his friend, says, Hey, we got to get out of here. There's a bear. Come on, we got to run. So the second camper starts to put on shoes. And the first camper says, what what are you doing? You're not going to be able to outrun the bear if you put on shoes to which the second camper replies, well, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. And this is life. It's not about being the absolute best. It's not about being the best networker, the best leader, the best negotiator. It's about, I just need to be sufficiently good. I just need to outrun the other person. 
your business just needs to be better than the competition. That's all it takes. So don't worry about perfection. Worry about how you can get incrementally better and it's going to yield these incredible returns. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And I think, I mean, I'm also by nature an introvert. I literally, when I was 18 years old and I got my first job, I would literally push myself to, to talk to other human beings. So I was like, I would take the bus to and from work. And literally the first month or so, my goal was sit down next to a human being and just say hi. Like literally nothing else. I just had to sit down and say hi. And then after a month of doing that, I went on and I became adventurous. And I'm like, okay, the goal now is say, hi, how are you? Because that's in the English language, it's one of those phrases you can kind of answer and you can kind of just ignore it. Right? So, but that, that was literally what I was like when I was 18. Uh, and now I speak at conferences with 2000 people and, you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still an introvert. It still takes a push inside me to do it, but I'm less uncomfortable doing it, right? Because when you do things, and this is one of the key things, like I, I study a lot of behavior and people's always like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to change and I'm going to be a totally different person. No, that's not the point. You always, your natural behaviors don't change. But what, what can change is your ability to, uh, to manage the uncomfortability, right? So for example, as an introvert, I'm generally pretty bad at sales because I'm not generally super comfortable walking up to random strangers and say, hey, buy my stuff. But I can do it. I, I will never be as good as someone who is naturally good at it, but I can do it to a point where I can make a business one, right? Well said. I use the analogy of eating vegetables. Now, I much prefer eating chocolate chip cookies to vegetables. That is my natural inclination. But of course, I know I need to eat more vegetables. And I have trained myself to eat vegetables, even if it's not my first preference, even if I'd rather have that cookie. And likewise, we can say, yeah, I'd rather not have to go out and talk to all these people. But okay, I'm not going to, it's not my first choice, but I'm going to go do some of it. I'm going to put some vegetables on my plate. I'm going to go talk to people because I know it's good for me, for my business. And we can train up those skills. What typically happens is we have these preferences. Preferences lead to action. And so we've chosen actions that don't involve, for example, as much social interaction. And so we're not good, we're not comfortable with it, and it becomes a vicious cycle. But if you just put a little effort into it, it starts to become a virtuous cycle. And for me, I can think of so many opportunities, so many introductions I had that I blew when I was 18. I was not as good as, as you were. I could not talk to people back then. One of the things that actually helped me was ballroom dancing. I spent most of my 20s uh, competing all over the US. I was a, a top-ranked ballroom dancer. It was a really fun hobby for me. That helped me with my public speaking. It helped me with my networking. And the way it did that was I went out and I competed, which meant I was on stage effectively, on the competition floor, and making mistakes, lots and lots of mistakes. But it was okay. I was having fun. I was enjoying it. And even though I made mistakes, I realized, you know, it's not the end of the world. Okay, I didn't make the next cut, but that's okay. I had fun. And that built up my confidence. And that's really what holds many of us back, certainly for public speaking. It's that, oh my God, well, if I say something wrong for even that networking, it's I'm putting myself out there. I'm saying, hi, how are you? Well, if you just turn your back and walk away, you're rejecting me. And so when you can build up confidence 
And you can do this for me. It was ballroom dancing. For some people, it's sports. For other people, it's just other activities where it gets you excited and you can be out there and be somewhere where you can make some mistakes and not be worried. You can translate that confidence back into your networking, your public speaking, your leadership, and other skills. So think about ways in which you can take some of these characteristics you want from domains where you're comfortable and translate those into your business skills. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm so happy. I mean, I, so I, I initially, when I was younger, I initially wanted to go into IT. That was kind of my passion. And I started on education in, in that direction. But when I got my first job, I, I basically had a manager that was just you know, standing. And I went from, I want to do IT to I want to do what she does, right? Um, and I was very, very not impressed with school at the time. So my, my approach to learning management was, was rigorous self-development. So at the age of 18, you know, I, I started reading a book a week and I, did, I ended up doing so for like 12 years or so. Uh, I ended up spending like doing lots of courses and stuff like that. But one of the first things I learned was about networking. And that was actually what pushed me into, you know, like pushing myself to approach random people and so on. Um, and fundamentally, the, the key thing I learned is that most people, when they think of networking, they think of going to a networking event or, or going somewhere to sell their product. But the way I look at networking is that the world is full of awesome human beings. And it's a numbers game. If you meet 100 people, there's probably 10 cool people among them. If you meet 100 people, there's probably one or two that will become really good friends or people that really want to spend time with. Right. So for me, Honestly, it's a numbers game to a large extent, right? I want to get to know a ton of people. And obviously, the, the whole thing is that when you get into circles, and that doesn't matter if it's ballroom dancing or whatever, but the whole point is when you get into certain circles, you tend to meet more better people, as in basically the number out of 100 basically tends to increase, right? So that's really fundamentally how I look at, at networking. And like I, I'm, I've traveled a lot. I've always loved traveling alone. Uh, because you, you meet so many people and like I've built so much network over the years. And like now, if I, you know, if I need to hire a hundred people tomorrow, I can't because I know so many people very well. I like there's so many experts in my network in all sorts of different directions. And when I need things, when I meet someone else that needs things, you know, I know someone like pretty much for anything. Right. You're, you're really coming at this from that master networking level. So let's break that down. So one of the first things is that I personally, I don't go to events that are just networking events. Oh, come here and network with other people. I do interesting things and doing interesting things, I meet interesting people, right? And that, that's your approach. Go out and meet people as you do things. You're going to meet a bunch of interesting people. The other thing that you, you had implied in there is that it's not just about meeting people within your discipline. Yes, we're in IT, it's helpful to meet IT people and they have direct connections, that's helpful. But it's also important to meet people outside of your field, to meet different people with different interests, different perspectives. I have no problem finding IT people, but what if I need to go hire a bunch of accountants? Well, good thing I know a couple accounting people, right? Maybe not as many as I know IT people, but that's okay they can open the door to people in the field of accounting. And one great way to really diversify your network is to do something different. For me, it was ballroom dancing because they don't say, no, only engineers can ballroom dance. 
It could be going to your religious organization. It could be a hobby. It could be being active with your university alumni group, but you're gonna bring diversity into your network. And then you hit a really important point there about thinking about how your network can help people. It can help you. So many people think of networking as, I need a job, right? That's what my network is for. I'm gonna, I'm gonna not talk to you for three years and then one day I need a job, I'm gonna reach out. But really I think of a network, the way I think of a cell phone, right? Now people have talked about how our cell phone has become an extension of ourselves, right? We no longer need to remember trivia because I just pull the phone out of my pocket and there's all the trivia in the world as right there at my fingertips, right? My phone gives me instant access to that. That's how I think about my network. Any challenge out there, it's not me trying to solve it. It's me leading the solution supported by my whole network. That is an extension of myself. And even if I don't know the answer, someone in my network might, and I have them all as a resource. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, I, I, I've loved that I travel a lot. I've lived in, I don't know, five, six, seven different countries or something like that, right? Um, and what I love is um, finding like particular organizations and so on that, that exist worldwide where no matter where I am in the world, I can actually go and meet great people. So um, both, both using apps, for example, like meetup.com uh, can be great because in most cities around the world, there is various kind of meetups happening now. Some of them might just be drunken, whatever. Uh, some of them might be super serious business events, but the whole thing is whatever you're into, you can generally find something that, that matches what you like, right? And at the same time, so I probably my biggest ever, like the, the best decision I ever made was joining Toastmasters, which is like a sort of public speaking leadership organization. And originally I joined that because same as you, I, I didn't like networking events but I loved finding great people. And what I realized, so Toastmaster is about public speaking, right? Which is great. But what's more important for me is the fact that the people that show up is people that show up because they want to improve themselves. And generally they have to pay. It's not very expensive, but they have to pay out of their own pocket. Now, people who are willing to take a, that could be a Tuesday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon or whatever, but people who want to take time out of their calendar, not just sitting staring at a TV somewhere, but actually going to improve themselves and pay, a, pay out of their own pocket to do it, is generally people I want to be surrounded by. Very well said. I am a big fan of Toastmasters. I recommend it to many people who want to improve their public speaking. There's also something else implied by that, that I want to break down for the audience. We have traditionally learned using a lecture method. So if we think back to our schooling, you have the teacher up front, a teacher gives us information. If we read a book, that's where the lecture method is just written, even listening to a podcast. Now they're wonderful and you absolutely should be listening to great podcasts like this. We learn a lot, but still they are broadcast. It's the two of us talking, everyone else listens. And this is fine for many things we need to learn. It's a good way to learn software development or accounting or basic marketing. But when you get to, let's take public speaking, you can't just have someone tell you do this, 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 and be a good public speaker, right? Not only do you have to practice it yourself, but it helps to see other public speakers. What do they do? What do they do well? What do they do poorly? When we get to leadership, when we get to negotiating, to networking, 
you can't just learn this from a book. You can get some of the information from a book, from a podcast, but really these are complex ideas. There's no do these three steps and poof, you're a leader. So the way we learn this, the way we teach this at MIT to our students, the way business schools around the world teach this is they use a peer learning method. They bring a bunch of people together in business schools. They make sure someone's ex-military, someone's a former teacher, someone's a consultant, someone's a software engineer. Let's get you all in the room and we're gonna talk about a particular situation and get different perspectives. Because how you approach leadership is different than how I approach leadership. Not that one is right or wrong or better or worse, but different perspectives. So when you create this group, you can tackle these challenges. You can take some content that you've been reading or a great podcast you've listened to and discuss it with others and you're going to get a much richer experience. So if you wanna develop these skills, create such a group. You're going to meet interesting people just like you have at, uh, at Toastmasters and you're going to get a diversity of opinions that's going to help you accelerate your growth and understanding in these skills. Yeah, totally, totally agree. I think we are exactly on the same page. So, and, and I would actually include interviewing in this, right? Like interviewing is one of those things. You can read some great books and you can do some great things, but when you do things rarely, and there's a problem with public speaking, like most people are afraid of it because they never do it, right? So even if you're actually going to school and you're doing a presentation every week, uh, most people aren't, but should be. But but if you were doing a presentation every week, after a couple of months, you wouldn't be as afraid of it as you otherwise are, right? And the same with interviews. If you're when you're doing your first interview, looking for a job, you're scared as hell. When you if you do like ten or twenty interviews in a relatively short span of time, uh, it, I'm not saying you're not nervous, but you become a lot more comfortable with the process, right? And this is one of the key things that, as a business owner, you need to understand. It's not just oh, now I learned interviewing, now I know how to interview. That's not how it works, right? It's a skill that you need to consistently massage to both keep it at a good level, but also keep improving it and, and, and keep it fresh, right? Like if I wasn't standing on a stage for 10 years and had to go on again, I could definitely do it, but I'm sure, you know, I'll be a bit rusty around the edges. So uh, it, it's one of those things you, you need to keep pushing it. You need to keep doing it, right? And, and that's very similar to most things in business, to be honest with you, because so much stuff that, you know, you, you, you need to be doing it on a consistent basis to see the right outcomes. And particularly with networking, this is where I see one of the weaknesses with people, right? They're like, oh yeah, I'll go do some networking. Then they do it for a short period of time, meet a bunch of people, and then they stop, right? And, and my philosophy around this stuff is you're much better doing a little bit consistently then do it and then in these bursts because when you're doing things inconsistently, then very often people will look at you inconsistently. And that, that's how you often look at yourself as well. Like you don't think as yourself as a networker if you're not doing it regularly. You keep telling yourself, oh, I'm not good at this thing because you aren't doing it regularly. So you don't feel comfortable about it. Right? And something you can do to start that process of being regular Certainly for those listeners who are in countries that still have some lockdowns from COVID, as horrible as COVID is, as unfortunate as it is, there are some silver linings. One is that I'm not commuting each morning, right? How much time are we saving each day? Use that time, whether it's every day or even just one day a week, let's say Tuesday morning, the 30, 40 minutes you have commuted, this is your morning coffee time. You're going to reach out to a different person each week Someone you know, it's not I have to go find a stranger. 
it's fine someone say, you know, I haven't talked to you in months. Let's just catch up. I do coffee every morning from 8.30 to 9. Let's just do a video coffee, an audio coffee, and just a once a week small commitment. Or you put on your calendar every Monday evening, you're going to go through LinkedIn and look at status updates in your network. Who just got promoted? Who just posted something interesting? Oh, Jill, I had no idea you got promoted to this new role. Congratulations, how are you doing? Right, we can just set aside a little time to make little efforts just to reach out because networking is about relationships and connecting with people. That's all it is. You know how to do it. It's just putting that time on your calendar to make sure you do it and build up this habit. And that's actually, that reminds me about one thing that I've done uh, over the years as well, quite successfully with networking is basically when I, when I land in a new city or when I move somewhere else, what I've always done is exactly opening LinkedIn and I literally find people of my interest. So that could be, you know, entrepreneurs or business owners or CEOs or something people I want to connect with. I literally hit them up and I say, Hey, you know, I can see you're working in this field. You know, I just moved to the city. Uh, would love to get to know some people here. If you're free to have coffee someday, let me know. Right. And, and that's literally like I, I probably about seven years ago, I moved to the Philippines for the first time after living in the UK. And that's what I did. And I literally met probably about 30 people over a couple of months and bang, like in a couple of months, I had a solid, solid network. And after being in the city a couple of months, I wouldn't meet people that have been around 10 years and they would be asking me who to get to know or who can help with this and who can do this and so on. Right. And that's the power of network. Right. But it's also like, everyone's like, Oh, but people are busy, but here's the thing. No one does it. Right. No one does it. And therefore, you know, you're not necessarily, you're not, I mean, some people won't have time, I'm sure, but you're not intruding. It, it's a little bit the same like mentorships, right? Everyone's like, oh yeah, I want a mentor, but you know, all these people that I know, they're really busy. They're really important people. And I'm like, have you asked them? Have you actually asked them if they would be interested in being your mentor? And I mean, probably Elon Musk have plenty of stuff to do, but there's a lot of people probably below his sort of level of fame that, you know, they, they aren't being asked. People just assume they won't or assume they don't have time. Like I know a lot of CEOs that's like, well, if people ask me to mentor them and if they were willing, if, if they had a drive, like if they just sit at home and don't give a shit, obviously I don't want to waste my time. But, you know, a lot of these people, they find it flattering that people want to be mentored by them, right? But so few people make the call. So few people ask the question. And there, there you're, you're illustrating our camper example because when you show up to these cities, you're not, you're not the world's greatest runner, right? You're just, you're just reaching out to people and saying, hey, I wanna meet you. And so you're just outrunning everyone else because no one else is making that effort. And then as you point out, months later, you are now the master connector, not because you are necessarily the greatest person in the world at networking, though clearly you're very experienced at, it's that you just, you just outrun the other campers there. Right, and that's what we can do in life. It's just these small efforts are really added because no one else is doing them. Definitely. Now, obviously, since you have a, a little bit of an educational background, I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about that as well because I, I have definitely not been a fan of sort of regular education for a very long time. And, and 
uh, one of the things that I'm keen on is always uh, teaching staff self-development, right? And I, I always say that in school, you don't learn how to learn. You learn how to remember. Um, and that, that fundamentally, that's a lot of the time the view I have of, of most school and uh, most school systems, right? So they're, they're trying to put stuff in like formulas and so on. But, but most people don't learn how to actually learn things. They don't learn how to, um, yeah, effectively personal development. But, you know, very often when we hire employees and you're like, they're like, oh, I don't know how to do this thing. And I'm like, going to go look it up. And they're like, how do I do that? Like, where should I look? And that kind of stuff. So that's one of the biggest things for me that I, I really don't like with the school system in general is it doesn't have the focus on teaching people how to learn things. Um, and, and, there might be places there are, but I'd love your take on that as well, and just uh, see if there's generally run totally out of town, or or how that makes sense to you. Sure. Now, it always depends on context. Are we talking about primary, secondary versus university? Which country are we talking about? But but let's just talk about generally. So lots of little asterisks with everything I say. Of there are exceptions. I do tend to agree with you. Certainly for primary education, maybe secondary education, okay, it needs to be memorization. Learn to do basic math, learn some basic history, just get some basic facts in your head and, and that's fine. When we get to higher levels, certainly towards the end of secondary education and absolutely the university system, there it's important to teach people how to think. Now, I was fortunate that I did my undergraduate and graduate studies at MIT, and that is very much how to think. In fact, uh, MIT was famous that we did not teach, we didn't have classes in C or C++, uh, and that was the main language when I was an undergrad. We didn't have languages in Java. And when we'd ask, you know, how come we're, we're learning computer science? Why aren't you teaching us to us? They said, look, you're not here to learn Java. You're smart enough. You can go learn that on your own. We're teaching you the fundamentals of how software systems work. And if you get that, go read a book on Java. We know you can do it. And so I think some of the top schools do it that way. I will say that no matter what school you're at, whenever you take a class, a well-designed class has some type of meta lesson, some fundamental lesson. So for example, I used to TA the computer architecture class and we'd begin by teaching, let's review binary and then logic gates and then how we put it together to circuits, to CPUs, into a computer, to an operating system. And you learn really going for like the bits up through how software works. Lots of things to memorize, lots of things to learn. But the meta lesson from that class is how you can build something at one level and then abstract it away. So at the next level, you didn't have to worry about the details, right? I don't have to worry about how the file system works because the operating system takes care of that for me, building abstraction layers. And if you got that meta lesson and you understood what abstraction layers look like, how to use them, how they can be applied, not just in software and electrical engineering, but in general, how to abstract things. Okay, you got the message. And the fact that we did with computer architecture was, that was the medium. And most well-designed classes, even at schools that aren't quite world-class level, they're designed to have that message in there. Unfortunately, I think a lot of professors don't know how to 
explicitly say, by the way, here's the meta lesson in case you missed it. And I, I wish they did. So I agree with you that we don't teach people how to think as much as we should. It is probably buried in some of those classes, but the professors just need to be a little more explicit saying, you know, don't just tell me about the history of the Roman empire. Tell me about how this applies to your life today. That's what I want to see in your paper. And they just assume the students will, will figure that out. Unfortunately, many don't. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And what, one of the big things that I'm always, and, and this is globally around the world, but like, you know, we, we are taught, like everyone learns math at a certain point and so on. If you ask most adults at the age of 30, they don't know how a mortgage works. They don't know how a credit card works. And, and again, I'm not saying it have never been taught to them in school, but it's definitely not been taught to people in a way that they actually get it and understand it, right? Like I, I've been a real estate investor for a long time, but, but even just talking to, yeah, I mean, most people buying their first house, like they literally have no idea how a mortgage works. They literally, like interest rate, they're like, oh, I don't know, I have to pay this amount every month, but they, they have no idea how it works. And I, I find that very scary. Uh, it's unfortunate that the way we teach math and science, which are two areas I absolutely love, and you know, probably to a lesser extent how we're teaching English and history, we're not connecting it well. And so certainly to a third grader, when you're just trying to teach basic fractions, maybe multiplication, Sure, at that point, just say, look, kind of, kind of learn it. It'd be great if you can't explain why, but I think most students at that age just accept, there's a lot I need to learn. They're telling me if I want to be an adult, I need this, so they'll learn it. As you get older, we don't connect it well. One of the, one of the most common complaints is in um, geometry. Everyone says, why do I need to learn geometry? I'm learning about how many angles this shape has and what they add up to. When am I going to use this? Now, the reason we teach geometry, it's not because you're ever going to be asked how many sides in this polygon. It's because we, we teach it using two column proofs, right? If you remember geometry and you had to start with your thesis and then, or your, your assumptions, and then you started to, uh, to put in, okay, well, this is true, this is true. And lo and behold, here's what we proved. What are we actually teaching? What's the meta lesson? The meta lesson is how to start from an assumption or a starting point, pull in known pieces of information or known parts to be true, known steps, and how you reach a logical conclusion. And at no point in my geography class did the teacher ever say, yeah, it's not just about this proof about this shape. Really, this is what I'm trying to teach you. Here's how you're going to use it when you're an adult. Here's how it's going to apply to your life. And I think we need to do more of that in our history lessons and certainly in our math and our science lessons. Here is why you need to know this. Here is how it's going to be useful. Maybe not this literal information, but this meta lesson that I should probably point out to you because we're not being explicit enough about it. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. That uh, makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, very good. Very good. So Mark, I want to talk, touch a little bit on negotiation as well, because I think negotiation is definitely one of the things, I mean, it's, it's taken me a, a long time to get my head around and how to still working on it, uh, obviously, but 
Um, it's one of those things that definitely a lot of entrepreneurs are struggling with in general. So would love to hear your sort of thoughts on it and yeah, how, how you think through negotiation in general. First, I want to emphasize why it's worth investing time. Imagine we're going to take the case of an employee, but I'm going to explain how it applies to small business owners. Imagine you're 25 years old and you get a job for $70,000 and you negotiate that job. You negotiate them up to 71,000. That, that's not a huge lift. That doesn't sound like you're some negotiation master. You just went from 70 to 71. And you do nothing else in life. You stay at this job for 40 more years. What you've just done is you've earned $40,000 more. That little lift, that $1,000 just earned you 40,000 more. But of course, we know it's not one negotiation. This is not the job you're going to be in the rest of your life. You're going to have other promotions, other jobs. And if you negotiate just a few thousand more in each one, you can imagine you're earning hundreds of thousands of dollars more, right? Massive return on investment. And again, we're not being a world-class negotiator. We're just outrunning the other campers. Now, if you're a small business owner, you might not be negotiating your salary, but you're certainly negotiating with suppliers, with customers, with partners, we negotiate even internally. Most people think of negotiations as, okay, it is that salary. It is, you know, you versus me sitting across the table. We negotiate with our coworkers all the time. Okay, we have to do this project. Oh, well, this is, this is a boring part of it. You want to do it? Oh, you want me to do it? Okay, well, how about I'll do this and you do that, right? We actually negotiate on a monthly or even weekly basis. And while we can't necessarily say, ooh, I just got $1,000 more by doing that, we do in fact improve our experience and improve the outcomes in each one of these negotiations. And for small business owners, now many of them think, okay, well, I don't want my team to know how to negotiate because when it comes for bonuses or salary raises, oh, like they're gonna get a thousand dollars more from me. Good negotiators know, I'd rather negotiate against a good negotiator than a bad one because good negotiators figure out how to expand the pie how to make things better off for everyone so we can all get bigger pieces. And so I would encourage you to yourself, learn how to negotiate, read a book, take a class, even investing 10, 15 hours learning to do this is going to yield massive returns. And in fact, if you can get your whole organization to do this, okay, maybe every one of your employees will now get $1,000 more a year. They will negotiate a little better but the pie is gonna be so much bigger because they're all going to be that much more effective when dealing with partners and suppliers and customers and even internal organization cooperation. So don't fear creating an organization of fantastic negotiators. It's gonna create this massive pie that everyone can feast on. Excellent, I love it. Yeah, I have a couple of favorite books. So uh, I think Getting to Yes is a book I really like around negotiation. And particularly as well, never split the difference. Not sure if you're familiar with those two, but, uh, but they're getting, definitely two of my favorites. Getting to Yes is a great starting book. It's from the Harvard Negotiation Project. Really good for understanding the philosophy of how to think about negotiations. Never split the difference. Best-selling book, as is uh, Greg Camp's Start With No. Now, one thing I've, I found with those books, it's sometimes not concrete enough. One of the best books I found for being, how do I actually go and do this, is in addition to my own book where I have a chapter on negotiations, there's a great book called Bargaining for Advantage by Richard Schell. 
it's a, a little bit of a, a big read. He's a Wharton professor, but it really breaks down step-by-step step how to do things with wonderful examples. And then if you really want to become a master negotiator, even, even beyond that, there's a book called 3D Negotiations by, it's a HBS professor that is, uh, really gets to thinking about complex negotiations. If you want to start with a book that's maybe a little easier to read, uh, Larry Suskin's book, he's out of MIT, uh, his book, Good For You, Great For Me, is a, is a really good kind of starting book with some practical guidelines. So there's lots of great books on negotiations. And my website, which I'll give at the end, actually lists many of these books as resources. Awesome. That is fantastic, Mark. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was definitely a couple of books I'm not familiar with. So I'll get on them as well. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think that's, that's great, right? And I think totally negotiation is... is very important to learn. I, I, particularly with so many small business owners, right? They, they always struggle to charge the right amount of money and they, they often undersell themselves wildly because they never, often because they never include their own cost, right? And when they grow to a level where, you know, they need to hire people to do the work, suddenly they can't afford it. And that it's definitely one of the things that I work with a lot of my smaller clients doing is, is increasing their prices. And that's, that's a, a big mental block. If you've been used to selling a service and charging a thousand dollars, if you suddenly start asking people 3000 or $5,000 for most people, that is mentally very, very hard to do until they've done it a few times. Like when they've had five customers where they've charged a new higher price, then it's okay. But getting those first five people to agree is typically very, very difficult for them. And, and I, like I've seen people sitting on these sales calls, like they're super uncomfortable. They're literally sitting, you can see they're sitting curling their toes and they're like, I've got to say the number. I wonder what they're going to scream at me and so on, right? Like it, it's, it's interesting, but it's also kind of funny. Um, you know, negotiation, negotiations, like public speaking, like leadership, it's not something you can learn solely from a book. Right? No one ever learned to play football by reading a book odd and saying, oh, now, now I know what to do. I'm going to go out into the, the field and go play. Right? We can read a book. We can listen to a podcast. We can get some starting information, but we have to try it. And so you can take a class or do negotiation exercises, but you can also do it. This, again, is something learned best with other people. If you do get one of these books, get other people to read it with you so you can discuss the points, discuss the ideas and share your negotiation experiences. Your point about, okay, how do I go from 1,000 to 3,000? This feels awkward. But if I'm sitting with four other people and each of them said, yeah, you know, I used to sell things for 1,000. And then I just realized, you know, I looked at my cost structure, realized we had to go up to three and it was scary. But I just said, you know, starting March 1st, I'd go and tell my clients, oh, it's 3,000. If I hear four other people saying, yeah, you just, you go and do it okay, well, if they can do it, I can do it, right? Or how did you convince a client what they were paying $1,000 for? Now they have to move up and pay $1,500 or $2,000. We didn't just say, pay me more money. I said, well, the way I approached it is I said, this is why it's worth more. Here's the additional value. Oh, well, maybe I should try that in my business. So as you learn this skill, as with any of the skills I talk about in my book or any of the skills we talked about here, do it with other people gain from their experiences and their perspectives. Excellent. I love it. 
Before we finish off, any anything else, any other golden nuggets you want to share, Mark, before we finish? If you would like to create one of these groups and figure out how to do it within your own company or with a peer group, maybe other business owners or just people you know where you say, well, I'm not doing it at work, but I want to do it with other people. I have on my website a free download that explains how you can set up these groups, how you can think about it. There's even a schedule that breaks down for my book how you can take the different pieces of content and break it into digestible segments that you can work on together. But it's not just there to sell my book. You can take this exact same download, not use my book. You can use another book. You can just use podcasts like this one. You can find articles online. It is a framework allowing you to take content on these topics and put it into digestible pieces that you and your peers can explore together to advance your understanding. I love it. I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of masterminds myself, and I am always in at least a few of them. And uh, I think that's a, that's a concept I read about many, many years ago uh, with uh, probably Napoleon Hill, uh, Think and Grow Rich, um, where, yeah, that stuck with me ever since. And I've, I've, I, when I lived in the UK, I tried a few times starting mastermind groups, but it, I found it very difficult finding people with the right mentality and drive and so on but but since i left the uk the last six seven years i've, I've been in and, and ran a, a few mastermind groups that uh that super valuable right like having because particularly as an entrepreneur like having people around that you talk to like on a regular basis that actually knows and understand your business and can actually talk about your business can be so freeing because most people just sit around and deal with everything themselves they're just, you know, their thoughts are running in circles. They, you know, sometimes try and talk with a friend or family, but they either get useless advice or actually sometimes no advice is better than the advice they're getting. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that definitely for my business, fundamentally, have done a huge, huge benefit in general. Right? You can absolutely start these groups if you don't see them. Most cities I've been in, they have founders groups. They have small business owner groups. They have groups dedicated to an industry. Maybe it's internet marketers, maybe it's accountants, and you can create these groups. If they don't exist, you can go to Meetup and start it. That's a great tool for starting these groups. If you are not the founder or owner of the business, but you're in a particular role, you can do that as well. I'm a member in addition to being in some founder groups, I'm also part of the New York CTO Club. And I know many of the top U.S. cities, the biggest U.S. cities, they have CTO clubs. They also have CMO clubs for chief marketing officers. And these are peer groups where we discuss ideas. So you can do it around your role, owner or executive or whatever you happen to be. You can do it around your industry. You can do it around your job function. Or you can do it around the skill set you're trying to learn. If you want to create a meetup negotiation group and you bring in different speakers and you talk with different people in the group, you can do all of these at once, right? So don't limit yourself. Just say, which ones do I want to focus on? You're not restricted to just doing one. Totally. And yeah, I, I love the way you, you say that, right? Because I, I think, um, obviously, again, be a little bit careful of the time, but, but I think fundamentally, um, even hosting groups, right? Like, the, the benefit of hosting a group is you build a lot more relationships 
And by hosting a group like that, you actually get a lot of sort of preconceived expertise. Like people expect that when you're hosting a group, you must be very smart, even if it's something you're just starting out learning or starting out doing. Um, <clears throat> we, we have particularly found it useful to do very, very sort of niche groups. So for example, if you're a marketing manager, then you know, do a group on how to run TV ads or like uh, really go down, not just take the broad overview, that can be beneficial as well, but really niche down and, and pick subtopics within some of the categories uh, that you're really trying to perfect, right? So if you're like, okay, you know, this year, 2021, I want to learn how to perfect this thing. I want to, you know, become an expert in this field or something, then pick that subtopic and, and do it like, as you say, like there's, there's not really any limitations to it. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, Mark, that was fantastic. If people are eager to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There's a contact page or you can follow me on social media. You can learn more about the book, including where to buy it. There's also a number of free resources. There are the downloads I talked about for how to create a group like this. I reference a number of books that I reference in mine, as well as other books I've just found helpful along the way, including some of the negotiation books that we've spoken about. You can also find the free app. It's available for both Android and Apple. One thing that happens when I read books like mine is I read it and say, wow, these are lots of great tips, but then I forget, right? Oh, I know I should network. I know I should do this and I forget. So I created this app. It sits on your phone and every day it pops up a little reminder. It's just a little, little pop-up and alert. You can swipe it away after two seconds. And it reminds you to do things like reach out to people on LinkedIn. And so it reinforces what you've learned in the book. You can also use it if you are about to go into a negotiation. Say, oh, okay, he had a chapter on that. There were lots of great tips, but I can't remember it because I read it three months ago. Open the app. And it's going to walk you through what all those tips were so you can get a crash course right before the negotiation or the networking event or interview or whatever it is and get a quick refresher. So the app, the other resources and how to contact me, it's all on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Awesome. Thank you very, very much, Mark. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed being here. And to the audience, you can listen to us again next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.